That's incredible. I love that. What a great morning, right? Amen. Isn't that been great? Just be able to lift up God's name and to be able to worship Him and to let Him know in our own way what glory He is due and what it's only about Him. And uh, I could have done this all morning. I don't even feel like speaking this morning, but since Sam asked me to, since I am the creative arts pastor, and we're, we're beginning this series called Renovation of the Heart. And it's all about worship. It's all about changing our attitude and our perspective on what it means to have a heart that's ready to worship God. So I'm going to spend about the next 20 minutes just talking to you. Uh, I could go longer, but I want to be sensitive to the time and to your, to your schedule. So before we get started, because of schedules, fourth and fifth graders. Now, if you're new to fourth grade, if you're, just going in, if you're in third grade going into fourth grade, this is your opportunity to leave as well. If you're in fifth grade and you're going to go to sixth, you get to stay in here. So... At this time, fourth and fifth graders, you can be dismissed to your class. There you go. Go spread the glory of God there. So as we get started in this, this series, <laughs> um, I, I do just want to take just 30 seconds to let you know, maybe it was a month ago or so, maybe six weeks, that, that Sam stood up here. You guys prayed for us and our family. If, you, if you're new here, I apologize that you might not be in on it, but we are heading over we, heading over to Russia to adopt some children. So about six weeks ago, we went over there and made our first trip there. Uh, we finally, just this past week, got our court date. So we'll be returning for September the 12th court date, which means on September 29th, we'll have two boys in our home prayerfully. So I just wanted to give you an update on all of that. And, and that, that will be life-changing in the same way that our lives can be changed when we truly understand what it means to worship God. Now, as you know, we have been created to worship. At the very essence of, of who we are, at the very core of who we are, we're made to worship. And specifically, we are made to worship God. If that weren't true, then it wouldn't say the second commandment that God gives to Moses, something that he wanted them to remember. He says this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, so here, here we are. We're made to worship. We're created to worship. And God gives us this law that we're supposed to follow, this understanding that we are made only to worship him. And so let me ask you a question. If someone were to ask you to define worship, what do you think you would say? If someone came up to you and said, what is worship all about? What do you think you would say? I'm sure maybe for some of you, you would say something, well, it's to give value to something. It's to esteem something. Maybe some of you would think that worship is some kind of unhealthy obsession with somebody else or something else, like he worships the ground that she walks on. Maybe it's that kind of perspective. Or maybe you would say that worship is just about making God's glory known. But I can't help to think, no matter if you incorporated some of those definitions or descriptions of what it means to worship, that so many of us so oftentimes also reduce worship to the five or six songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. That somehow we might call this a worship experience, but what we really mean is that 20 or 25 minutes when we sing those songs, that that's what it is to define worship. 
Now, if that's you, if you've ever done that, if you ever said, you know, I really liked worship this morning, I'm not going to point fingers and blame you for that because we spend a lot of energy and time preparing for those five or six songs that we do every week. And not only that, we also talk about worship in the context, let's stand up and worship. We say those things. We talk about praise and worship songs. We identify worship by the style of music that a particular church does or doesn't have. And what do we call these people like Don and Doug and, and Scott and Mark? Who, what do we call them? We call them worship leaders. You see, we've, done, we've not done a service to people to tell them and to define what worship is because we kind, of, we kind of boxed in worship to be those five or six songs. But what happens when we reduce worship to those five or six songs is that we expect something miraculous to happen within those moments. And if they don't, then there's something wrong with worship. We didn't have a good worship experience. I... Many, many times since I've been here, people will come up to me and say, I really enjoyed the worship experience. They don't obviously tell me that they don't enjoy it, but somehow I hear about it. But that's all right, because if it's only about those five or six songs, then we're always preoccupied. Was the music too loud or was it too soft? Was it too fast or too slow? Was there too much guitar and not enough piano? Did it sound like an ancient hymn or was it something at least from the last 10 years in this century? And there's a lot of pressure in that. When you think about what it means to worship, if we're just going to, to, to reduce it down to those five or six songs that we sing on a particular morning. And it's not that the songs that we sing are not important. They're hugely important because it's our response back to God, what we say with our mouths. That's why it's so important. I mean, yes, the, the band sounded phenomenal. Didn't they sound phenomenal this morning? Come on, let's, let's get, let's, let's, they did a great job today. And I think they do a great job every week. But we can really enjoy that. We can really like that. So the songs are important, but it's more about what we say than what we hear. It's more about the words that are coming across our lips and what's in our heart than whether or not we felt good about it. And it's kind of ironic, or maybe you see the irony in me standing up here to talk to you about worship, not being the five or six songs since that's, and, and whatever happens in here, because that's largely what I do. But yet it's true that if we're going to define worship and understand that we at the very essence and the core of who we are are made to be worshipers, then we better worship and we better understand it. It's sort of like a dog. About three and a half years ago, we got a dog. And how many of you have dogs? I mean, dog, dog lovers? A lot of people love dogs, right? We love dogs. Well, our dog was six months old when we got her. And dogs, they're just made to chew, right? They're, they're made to chew. And if you don't give them something to chew... They're going to chew whatever they can, like a table leg. We, we lost more furniture and more windowsills because of our dog. See, a dog is created to chew, and so that's what a dog will do. And in the same way, we are created to worship, so that's what me, we must do. And in the absence of worship, if we, are just, if we are just waiting for the opportunity to have a great worship experience for 20 or 25 minutes each week, because it's inherent in us to be able to worship, we will find other things in our lives to worship that doesn't involve God. We'll begin to worship things like our careers and we'll make them sacred. We'll, we'll make our hobbies sacred, that 1964 Camaro that you might have in the garage. Or maybe you, you, maybe you worship your lawn. Maybe you get done cutting the grass and pulling the weeds and edging and you stand back and you look at it and you go, that is my yard. I'll, and, and you're out there, all, I mean, one bread of glass, you got the scissors up because you're worshiping your yard because we're made to worship. Maybe we worship our time and our priorities. It's not about what God wants from me. It's what I want from me and, and I'm going to honor that and I'm going to be I'm going to worship my calendar or maybe it's our children that we worship and we'll do anything possible for them we'll we'll alter our whole schedules around our children 
Or maybe for you, the thing that you worship is just mere survival, just trying to make it through your week, gets the most attention from you when God is the one who wants our attention. It's what we are made for, is to worship him. So again, I don't want to dismiss the importance of songs, but what I do want to do this morning in about the eight minutes that I have left is I want to be able to talk to you a little bit more about what worship really is as described in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, like just in my, in my version of the Bible that I use, I, I typed in the word worship, and over 262 times this word comes up. And best that I can tell, not one time is it about the songs that we sing. The songs that we sing are a response to our worship. It's a response to what God has done in us and what he is doing in us is why we sing. So I want to talk a little bit about the three common threads or concepts or ideas that are woven throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament about what it really means to worship. And so it's not going to be a very sexy message. It's going to be kind of almost seems a little bit academic. But I think it will be important for us to know, because we've been created as worshipers, because that's the essence of who we are, is to honor God with our entire lives, with our whole being, then that's what, that's, I just want to be able to explain and help us to understand what it really means and how the Bible uses the word worship. The first one, and I'm not, here, here's one, I'm going to do you a favor. You can thank me later, but here's the favor I'm going to give you. I'm not going to give you the Hebrew word and the Greek word because you're not going to remember it. It'll just be confusing. So I'm just going to tell you what they mean and, and, and the translation of what it means so we'll be able to remember this. The first one, the way, the, one of the words that is this, this translated as worship is to bow down or to prostrate oneself. You have to say that carefully as a male, prostrate oneself in order to be able to, to bow down. And we see that all the way from the beginning of the Old Testament when, in Genesis when Abraham goes out and he wants to worship God. He basically yields to God. Basically, the understanding or the imagery or the metaphor that you can get in your mind of bowing down is to recognize that there is a God and you are not him. That, that's really what it means to just yield to God, that you, while you bow down before him, surrendering everything that you have, as we're saying about being able to say, you know what, God, I'm going to give up my ambitions for your plan in my life. And so we see that in Genesis. We see that in John 4 when, when Jesus was at the woman at the well, and they're talking about what does it really mean to worship, and it just means to acknowledge who God is. When she's, you know, she's wondering, okay, are we going to worship on this mountain or that mountain? And Jesus says, you know, the mountain's not important. Whether or not it's, are you following him? Are you acknowledging him as Lord? And you see that in, in Revelation as well, this idea at the end, we'll all be worshiping around the throne. It's just saying, God, you, you are God, and I am not him, and I'm so glad that I'm not him. But when we don't, when we focus on the songs of being worshiped, then, then we're, we're trying to, we, we miss the, the context of that, that God wants to be God in our lives all the time, not just through, for 20 or 25 minutes, but we need to yield to him. And I think it's a real challenge when we think about this concept of worship because our society just seems, I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because you can put something on YouTube and you can be live in the Philippines and the next thing you know is that you're the your new lead singer for Journey. Or maybe you can put something on, you know, live in Canada and be a young punk kid and you can put a song on the, on the, radio, on the YouTube and before you know it, you got Bieber fever or whatever it might be. But there is a tendency. Here's the thing. Because we worship that in a lot of ways. We want to be like that. We want to have the significance and the notoriety. But to live a life of worship, is to be able to yield to God and surrender to him and be okay with living without the notoriety. What was the name of the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts? That, that you know, when Paul broke out of pr- prison and he was concerned, what was the name of the Philippian jailer? You know how the Bible, dis- what, what the Bible says his name is? Philippian jailer. Doesn't even give his name. 
Do you know after, after in the book of Acts when, when Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, when they were selecting the disciple to replace Judas, they had two guys that rose to the top, a guy named Justice, he actually has about three names, and Matthias. And they were guys that had walked with Jesus from the time of his baptism all the way to the time of his resurrection. And they selected Matthias. And that's the last you really hear about Matthias. But I'm thinking about what about Justice? I mean, here he was, a guy, he was faithful. He followed God, and yet he, he didn't even get selected. He was never in the inner circle. He walked around with, without the notoriety and without the significance that sometimes you and I crave so desperately. But when that's our main focus, when that's our attention, we'll never be able to yield to God. We'll never be able to bow down to him and to surrender to him. As John said in his gospel, or John the Baptist, when, when he's out um, in chapter Three verse thirty. This is he's quote, this is John the Baptist speaking. We talked a little bit about him last week. He said this: He must become greater, and I must become less. That, that's really the foundation for our worship. Is when we say, you know what, God, you have to become greater in my life, and I must become less. The second thread or concept or idea of worship that is throughout the, both the Old Testament and New Testament is this idea of service, of labor that we are to serve or to labor. Now, this is really kind of a foreign concept to us that we would think that worship is work, right? Because when we come together, we don't think, we just want to be, in some ways, entertained. We want to have, we want to feel good about what just happened on a Sunday morning. Specifically, again, I'll say it, the five or six songs that we sing. But really, the concept that runs throughout the whole Bible, the word that's translated worship is to serve or to labor. Remember the whole story about Moses, and he's going to go out, and he's trying to get out of Egypt, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go so that we can go and worship God. What he's really saying is let my people go so that we can serve and we can work for God and we can make him known. You see, there's, there's an effort that takes place in our worship. And you can, I won't even go into all the ways that we're trying to seek out comfort and certainty and stability in our lives. But worshiping God often requires of us this uncomfortableness. It requires work. It requires almost sweat equity. Romans 12.1, some of you might be familiar with this passage, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper act of service. This is your, your labor of love, if you will, the way that we live our life. You see, the songs that we sing, those are important, but worship is more than the songs that we sing. Worship is the life that we live in this context, is that we're willing to serve the Lord. It's why Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. This idea is that our whole lives, whatever we do, has to be for the glory of God. It's not just when we stand and sing. Did you ever think about this, perhaps? That what you do Monday through Saturday is an act of worship. If you go to work as an RN or if you go to work as a teacher or if you're in a, work in a, in, in a lab somewhere or you change oil or you cut grass or you work in a church, whatever it is, whatever we do, it's to be able to honor God. It is our work. You see, we think about worship, what happens in here, but what about what happens in the parking lot? Isn't that not an act of worship when people come together and fellowship and encourage one another? It absolutely is. It's whatever we do. It's serving coffee. It's working in Kids Canyon. It's the way what we spend our money is an act of worship. The way we discipline our kids is an act of worship. The way we speak to our spouse is an act of worship. It's whatever we do, however we serve and however we labor. In some ways, it's every breath that we take in. 
and every breath that we let out is an act of worship. Now, I don't expect us to walk around going, I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping. Oh, praise God, I'm worshiping. You know, that's going to wear us out. It's like pray without ceasing. But at the same time, we have to recognize that what we do all the time is an act of worship. It's a spiritual act. And here's, here's, what's, here's what's huge about this. If that's true, that our lives are an act, whatever we do is an act of worship, then what do you need to stop doing? That's not an act of worship. That's stealing glory from God. That's interrupting the flow of your relationship with him and my relationship with him. What do I need to stop doing that is not an act of my worship? Not only is it about bowing down and surrendering and yielding everything to him, it's also about serving and laboring and understanding that what we do and who we are is about worshiping God. The third one I want to speak to is that's translated, the idea that's translated is in to be in reverence or in awe of, to revere or to awe God. That is worship as well. And we, we see that back, it's in Judges and in, in Acts 2. In fact, let me, read, let me read to you Acts 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It's awe. When is the last time that you've experienced the awe of God? You know, I think it's challenging because, I, 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 let me put it in this, in this context. I've, I've, done, I've had the opportunity to do a fair amount of traveling. Not a ton. I know more of some of you have done a lot more traveling. But I met a guy this, this past week who's never been on an airplane, which I know that he's never been across the ocean. But that's okay. But I've had opportunities to be at Tiananmen Square where they had some of the, you know, the revolution in, in China back however many years ago. I've been in Trafalgar Square in, in London. I've been to Red Square in Moscow. I've been on the Great Wall. I've seen big... No, I've just done a lot of different things. I've had opportunities to do that. And what I realized one time, I was standing on the Great Wall of China, and I'm thinking, what's the big deal with this? But you know what? I thought in my parents' generation, them growing up, if they ever got to have an opportunity to see the Great Wall, they would have thought that was phenomenal. And here I was just kind of taking it for granted. And I realized at that point that in some ways, maybe it was because I could go on the internet and look on a webcam and see a picture of whatever it is I wanted to see or experience it through a CNN video or whatever it might be, that I lost my awe for a lot of different things. And I just thought of that in the, kind of the context of what God has created and who he is. And I wondered to myself, how often do I really miss out on the awe that I should have for God. It's almost this fear. Not, not a fear like you're petrified of God. It's not, it's not that way. It's just to have this awe and this reverence that you're almost intimidated by it. One of the trips I was able to take about 10 or 12 years ago was with a company I was working for, and we went to Bermuda. And for, it, was not a, it was hurricane season, and Hurricane Gert skirted the island. And I just remember looking at that water and thinking how it was, it was just churning and crashing and making such a huge noise. And I, and I was not going to go in the water at that point. It wasn't that blue, pristine water anymore. It was, this, it was this ugly monster. And at that moment, I had a fear of it, but it was a respectful fear of what the power of that water was like. And why is it that sometimes we miss out on this power and this awe of who God is. And I think oftentimes it's because we think what just happens in here is worship. And we need to be able to express our worship and to be able to acknowledge him in all that we do. God is so much bigger than we are and that we need to be able to, to know that he is God. Isaiah 55, 8, I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. 
We're, we're, we're so apt to want to bring God down to our level. And whenever God is down at our level, we'll always miss out on what it means to truly worship him. There was a book that was written a while ago called Jesus in Blue Jeans. And I get the idea that Jesus is, he wants to be a role model for us. He wants to be our friend. He wants to be our companion. But Jesus is not our homeboy. He's the divine son of God. And when we treat God like he is just like one of us, we miss out on the whole idea of what it means to worship him. Threads, I mean, threads and concepts of, of what it means to worship are throughout the Old and the New Testament. And Jesus warns what happens when we don't worship in those ways, when we're not willing to yield our lives to him, when we're not willing to understand that worship is about serving, when we're not recognizing that there's this holy awe that we need to have of God. And Jesus warns about what this will look like. And he's actually quoting Isaiah, but he says it in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. It says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You know, when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we base our whole worship experience on five or six songs that we might sing, whether it moved us or not, whether it was great or not, whether we shed a tear or not, whether we were able to lift up our hands or not, whether we felt like singing or not. When we do that, God sees right through it. And he says, you know what? These people are only worshiping me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. It's going to take a renovation of our hearts, a remodeling, a reshifting of our priority when it comes to understanding worship in order so that we can actually truly live out our God-given design to be worshipers. And I want you to think about what that would look like for a moment in your own life and then our lives collectively. What would that really look like if we decided, you know what, that worship is more than 20 or 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. That worship is the lives that we live. And so we can wake up and we can make a decision. Today, I'm going to bring glory to God's name through my going to work this morning. I'm going to become the best employee. I'm going to become a respectful student. I'm going to be a friend and encourager to somebody who needs a friend or some encouragement. Imagine what that would look like in your life. Imagine what collectively that would look like if we could be a church that would really understand worship and be able to go out and live it to the 43,500 people in our in these two zip codes, 46613 and 46614, and wherever else you would live. What would that look like if we would just decide to live lives of worship? What would it look like in your workplace if you decided to show up and say, you know what, today I am worshiping God in everything that I do and every word that comes out of my mouth, how would it affect those 18 people that you work with, the guy or the gal in the cubicle next to you? What if we decided that we were going to live a life of worship? How would that impact the four people that share a dinner table with you? What would that look like for a moment? Because we're created for worship, because we are worshipers at the core, we have to worship something. And we can either decide that we're going to change the way we view worship and recognize it that it's every breath that we take, breathing in and breathing out, we are made to worship. That'll change everything. That'll change your life and it'll change the life of the people around you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have called us by name, that you have put something in the heart of each person to worship you. We are worshipers. And yet, God, we know that in the absence of understanding worship, it's very easy to drift and to be able to worship other things and other people and the circumstances of our life take prime spot when you really desire that. 
So change our heart, O oh God. Make it ever pure. Allow us to know that it's not the music that you want. It's not the songs that we sing that you want, that you want, that you want our heart. And so that's what we offer to you, not just on a Sunday morning, but every breath that we inhale and every breath that we exhale. We want to bring you honor and we want to bring you glory. In Jesus' name.